I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> I have the privilege of uh, introducing our guest preacher today, and I, I could go through and tell you about um, his experience or his resume or his education, but what I'd rather say is I think Jerry's a great guy, and I've had the chance um, to meet him and spend some time with him. He's kind. He's caring. He told us yesterday that he loves Scripture, and he has a desire to help people like you and me to grow closer to God and to go out into our communities and our neighborhoods and make a difference for Christ. And so that's what we want. So I'd love for you to give a warm welcome to Jerry Deck. Well, thank you. It is an absolute blessing um, to be here. And so from my wife and our three little girls who have already enjoyed their time uh, thoroughly, it's fantastic. In some ways, I feel like it only goes down from here, so I should just say amen. Um, but let me say a couple things uh, before we get into the scripture. Uh, one of those is, of course, every uh, preacher, every pastor has his or her own uh, style and, 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 and his or her own, own way of doing things. And uh, one of the things that I don't often do, as I know many people do, is say something before they read the scripture, which is what I'm doing right now. So that's not common. And secondly, I know it's the tradition, it seems to be here at GPC for most of the uh, preaching is at the end of the sermon to, uh, to say a brief prayer. And I think that is good and right. But I don't do that. So, um, and it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, um, but I just want you to know, don't wait for me to pray, okay? And so um, uh, let's, uh, John, as soon as I'm done, I'm done, okay? When I say amen, come on up here and, uh, and let's listen to music uh, and worship God. I want to say one other thing, though, before I read the scripture, which is just how thankful I am to each and every one of you. Yesterday was a fantastic day. It's, it's kind of an odd process where I don't really get to know you all very well before this day. And uh, it was so great to meet with the staff and get to see um, these folks and hear their heart for God and for ZPC. And, uh, and then to meet with the elders last night uh, or yesterday afternoon. And then, of course, uh, to meet with all of those who came last night. That was uh, just an absolute blessing and we certainly felt welcomed. Um, but I, I want to give a special uh, a sense of gratitude to, to Scott, um, who, uh, as he already said, we've had a chance to kind of get together some, talk a little bit over email. And um, it's clear that Scott is a great man of God and has done wonderful things here um, over these many years and especially perhaps over this last half year or so. And so um, I just give praise to God for Scott. Um, yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. And then secondly, I want to uh, give thanks for the PNC. Uh, what a great group of people. They said that they are representative of you all. I hope that that's the case. Um, because... <laughs> They have just been fantastic, and it's been amazing to see God work throughout this whole uh, process. And they have uh, not only been very kind to me, they've been very kind about what they've said about me. And, um, and as I let my wife look over the, the letter, the, the brochure that you all received, she said, Wow, this, this guy sounds great. Um, I would love to get to meet him. And so... Um, 
she didn't actually say that, but you could just tell in her eyes that that's what she was thinking. Um, but we really do uh, thank the PNC um, for um, just the way that they have discerned uh, with us over these last several months. It's been a blessing for us. So let's uh, begin, and let me begin with, um, with prayer. God, we thank you for this opportunity. And as Scott so poignantly already put it, this is not about me. It's not even about ZPC. This is about you. You are the audience for us this morning. So we pray that you would open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word. May they hear these words as feeble as they may be. For your glory and yours alone. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Now our second text for this morning is from, or our, our first text is from 2 Kings chapter 7. And let me just say a couple things before we get in it, because we kind of jump in halfway through, but I didn't want to spend the whole sermon reading the story. So let me say a couple of things. One is that the Arameans have come and they are, uh, they are besieging the city of Samaria, full of Israelites. And they have been sitting there having a siege for, for, for a very long time now, and the people are getting hungry. Hungry, hungry. In fact, so hungry that they are beginning to resort to cannibalism. And so the king is at his wit's end. The king of Israel does not know what to do. And like many of us, when times are not going well, he begins to blame God. And then, and then when he can't actually say something to God directly, he says something to God's mouthpiece, who is, uh, in this case, Elisha. And so he is angry. In fact, he says, I am going to basically behead Elisha by the end of this day. And so he, he goes to give that message to Elisha, clearly not a message that Elisha wants to hear. And so he sits there and, and he's behind this door, Elisha is, and he says, by this time tomorrow, everything will change. Of course, those who were with the king, they didn't necessarily believe Elisha. And why would you? Because the Arameans had the Israelites in the city of Samaria exactly where they wanted them. Which is where we begin verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 7. Now there were four leprous men outside the city gate who said to one another, Why should we sit here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we shall also die. Therefore, let us desert to the Aramean camp, and if they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. But when they came to the edge of the Aramean camp, there was no one there at all. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to fight against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp just as it was and fled for their lives. When these leprous men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, ate and drank, carried off silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. 
Then they came back, entered into another tent, carried off things from it, and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, what we are doing is wrong. This is a day of good news, and if we are silent and wait until the morning light, we will be found guilty. Therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We went to the Aramean camp, but there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied, the donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out and proclaimed it to the king's household. The king got up in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Arameans have prepared against us. They know that we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they, came out, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. One of his servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, since those left here will suffer the fate of the whole multitude of Israel that have perished already. Let us send and find out. So they took two mounted men, and the king sent them after the Aramean army, saying, Go and find out. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. The whole way was littered with garments and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a measure of choice meal was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. See, you guys don't do that, but I do. There we go. (laughs) My very last year of seminary, I, along with all of those who hoped to be Presbyterian pastors and needed to be ordained, had to take ordination exams. And so we uh, had to take exams in things like theology and and worship and polity. And one of the uh, exams that we had to take was exegesis, which was that you had to decide whether or not to, to take a particular Old Testament passage that they had given to you or a New Testament passage. And then you had to translate it and, and then interpret it in some way and then write a sermon. And so all of us, as we were thinking about this ordination exam, were, were arguing about which one we should do. Should you do the Old Testament or the New Testament? And By and large, almost everyone chose to do the New Testament. As I sat there and thought about it more and more, I finally decided that I should do the Old Testament. Now, unfortunately, it was not 2 Kings 7. That would have been perfect for today. And the reason why I chose to do the Old Testament had nothing to do with the fact that I like the Old Testament more than the New Testament. I actually tend to like or or be drawn to the New Testament a bit more. It's not because I, I particularly like Greek more than Hebrew. In fact, I was horrible at Hebrew. I mean, it was incredibly illogical. It used dots for vowels. Who uses dots for vowels? And, and it just wasn't my, wasn't my specialty at all. In fact, it was my very worst class at seminary. I, I like Greek much more. And, and it wasn't because almost everyone I knew was doing The Old Testament, because again, they were almost all doing the New Testament. The reason was, in fact, because almost everyone I knew was doing the New Testament. Because I started thinking to myself, if I were an exam reader, and I had to keep reading 
New Testament after New Testament and keep thinking about whether or not it means Christ or faith in Christ or faith of Christ, at some point I would start getting cranky. And if I started getting cranky, I would be much more likely to fail them. And I also started realizing that if they were getting all of these New Testament scripture, that they would be able to compare it with everyone else. And so finally I decided, you know what? I am going to do the Old Testament. Why? Because I kind of figure that if they started looking over it, first of all, they wouldn't have hardly anyone else to compare it with. And secondly, they might say, you know what? It's pretty clear this guy does not know Hebrew. And, and, and this is a really bad. But you know what? He gave it a try. Let's go ahead and pass him. And voila, I'm here. And so as I was thinking about what I should preach from this morning, I thought I could preach from a well-known New Testament text. But why not go to the well again? This is an exam in many ways, and so why not go to some obscure Old Testament passage that probably very few are are, are familiar with and, and perhaps even fewer have ever heard preached on. And so that's how it ends up that this morning it's you and me and four starving lepers. <laughs> and the four starving lepers are in a spot. Are they not? I mean, they're hungry. They're riddled with leprosy. Their, their bodies are falling off of them, basically. And they're wondering, what should we do? And they have three clear options. The first option, as they pointed out, was to go into the city, go, go, go behind the walls, if you will, to, to at least try to be protected from the Aramean army. But they realized that, that there was no more food behind the walls than there was out where they were outside the city gates. So that wasn't a great idea. So then they thought, well, maybe we can just stay here. But they, they realized as well that that if they just stayed there, that nothing was going to change and that they were still going to starve. So finally they decided, well, you know what, this sounds crazy, but, but the only real viable option is for us to actually walk to where the enemy is. And maybe they'll kill us. But we already feel like we're going to die anyway, so let's just go and, and perhaps they will have some mercy upon us and they might feed us. So sure enough, they wait until darkness. and They kind of go up to the enemy's camp and can't you imagine exactly what it was that they were feeling as they were wondering. They were probably thinking this was really not a good idea. But they'd already gone so far that they decided to just kind of continue. And so you can, you can be sure they had their little white flag, if you will. We, we surrender. We surrender. We. Hello? There's nobody there. There's just food and a horse and drink and food and clothing, and silver, and food, and gold, and more food. 
I mean, it, it almost feels to me like a, like a Lord of the Rings scene, if you will. And you just kind of picture kind of the glowing light. And, the, and there they are with their goblets, clinging them up against one another, throwing the silver and gold up into the air, taking a bite of fried chicken and throwing it aside, having mashed potatoes and gravy and starting to throw it at one another. Trust me, this is what the Hebrew says. It's this incredible moment. And so there they are, and they start taking it, and they, they run, and then they, they hide it, and they, they go back and repeat the process again and again, and, and they keep hiding it until finally, right before they get to their gluttonous stupor, one of them says, wait a second. This, this isn't right. We have good news uh, to share And as if finally remembering that there is a city that is still living in fear, that is still dying, that is still starving, they decide that they better go back and tell the king. And so that's exactly what they do. They go back and they tell the gatekeeper who tells the king's household, who tells the king, who of course does not believe them. And why would you? It would make no sense, no practical sense for a whole army to be on the precipice of defeating their enemy and then just decide to leave. And so the king takes some convincing until finally one of of his servants convinces him to take out five of the remaining horses and, and at least go and see. And that's exactly what happens. They go out, they see that what these four lepers have said is absolutely true. Before you know it, the city gates are flung open or over, actually trampled upon. The starving are given food. The thirsty given something to drink. drink. The oppressed finally given freedom. It is a remarkable story. But one for some reason that most of us have probably never heard. And I think it's a remarkable story quite honestly because it seems to me that it has something to say, especially to those of us in the church today, especially those of us in churches in this country of America. In so many ways, and forgive the graphic nature of this, but in so many ways, the, the churches in America are those four leopard men. Pieces of their body have slowly begun to fall off of them. And that's true these days for liberal churches, for moderate churches, and even now for more evangelical churches. And they're wondering what they can do. They're starving to try to come up with a new way to be regenerated, a new way to, to add back, to get back part of that body that is gone. starving to try to know what's the best thing we can do. And what is striking about this story is that the three choices that the lepers had on that day are the exact same three choices that churches here today have. And I see these churches running through these options all of the time. The first option Should we just go behind the walls that we have made for protection? 
Should we build up the walls between ourselves and the enemy that beckons? Should we simply find a group of people whom we know and are comfortable with and just hope and pray that at some point the enemy will relent, that the enemy will just simply walk away? But what the lepers understood was that there is no real life in just building more walls between yourself and those on the outside. And that simply being able to survive one more day is not really life at all. And so then they had to ask, well, well, perhaps should we just stay here? And the lepers could have done something. I mean, they could have tried to bring in a really cool leper leader who might have come in and, and, and kind of jazzed things up a little bit. They could have brought in a really uncool leper leader who had three daughters and a beautiful wife. <laughs> and thought, well, maybe this will, maybe this will change things. And, and maybe now we'll, we'll get some more members. Maybe now we'll get some more food. But they, they realized that, that, that people were too hungry for that. And at the end of the day, if they tried to do that, they would just be passing around the little morsels that they had. The third option, of course, makes no more sense for us here in this church and in all the churches across America than it did for the lepers. Let's just simply decide that we are going to risk everything, even our very lives, and be vulnerable and go outside of what is comfortable, outside of these beautiful walls that we have built up, outside of our safe spaces in order to go out and see what might happen. And when they decided that their lives were not their own anyways, and so they might as well just risk everything, it was only then that they began to find life. They found food and drink, silver and gold. Why? Because God had already been working on the outside, unbeknownst to them. While they were sitting there and starving, there was food aplenty outside the camp where the enemy was. But they only discovered it when they decided to not stay in their own walls when they decided to not try to do what they'd always done, but just do it a bit better, when they decided to go out to risk everything, that's when they discovered how God had been at work already, and that's how their lives began to finally be renewed and rejuvenated. Surely this passage has something to say for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And the more I began to look at this passage, the more I began to see striking similarities, other incredible things that we could clearly talk about this morning. I mean, what about how the, uh, these four lepers, as soon as they found all this good news, they just wanted to keep eating and keep hiding it. They, it didn't even dawn on them for a while that they should probably go out and tell this good news to others. For so many of our churches, we love the good food we get. We love being in church and adding program after program, Bible study after Bible study. And that's good and right, but it is not enough. 
And so we end up getting gluttonous and we get so round that we can hardly squeeze out of the church doors to go out to tell people that there's food to be found. Or what about the king? What might he say to church leaders much like myself who get so busy in the day-to-day and the very practical that we forget the amazing vision that God has and the incredible things that God is doing just outside our walls, but we are not seeing them. What or who should we be listening to? Who are on the margins, who are discovering where God is at work, like with these lepers, and yet we are too busy, too practical, too business-minded, too, quote, vision-oriented to see how God is doing new things everywhere. Now, I could talk about this for a while, but I thought that perhaps a two-hour sermon would not be the best way to make a first impression. And so I will wait, if it so pleases you, until the second month at least to do that. (laughs) But as I thought about this morning, I realized that this would be the time, my only opportunity to say at least two other things to you. It's very important for me to be very upfront and very honest. And one of those things is to speak to kind of the elephant in the room. And so in case there are still one or two of you who are wondering this, let me be very clear. I am not Glenn McDonald. (laughs) Glenn did some remarkable things at ZPC. And quite frankly, for the church universal. And that is something to absolutely be celebrated and to give God praise for. And I told the PNC, and you can ask them this, at the very first phone interview, I told them that me having this conversation with them went against everything I ever told my colleagues. You see, you never, I told them, want to be the person who comes after a pastoral superstar like Glenn McDonald. You want to be the person who comes after the person who came after someone (laughs) like Glenn McDonald. That way they can say, well, he's no Glenn, but thank God he's no Jerry either. (laughs) And I know the comparisons will be inevitable. But I want you to know I'm not Glenn. I'm okay with that. And I also want you to know that I think what Glenn did here over the last three decades um, with the power of the Spirit is absolutely fantastic. But it also leads me to the second thing that I want to say, and and a major reason why I really wanted to talk about 2 Kings 7. I want you to know before you vote this morning, and I want to be very clear, I have very little, I have no desire to try to simply get ZPC back to where they used to be. It is wonderful where ZPC used to be. But my passion will never be to simply try to get you back to where you once were. And while my passion is never to try and get ZPC back to where they used to be, my passion will always be to try and help ZPC get out to where they are called to be. 
out from these walls of this church building and your homes, out into the neighborhoods and the communities to which Christ has called you to love, out where God is working in ways that we are probably unaware of, but in ways beyond what we could ever imagine out to where people are hungry and thirsty, where people need food and drink and the grace of Jesus Christ. People need to hear the good news of the gospel. So yes, let us worship with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, let us have Bible study. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes, let us fellowship with one another. Let us us bear one another's burdens. Let us join one another in love and care. But then let us not stop by simply opening the refrigerator door. Let us not be content to just continue to eat of the morsels that God has given us here. But let us remember that we are also called to open the front door. The doors of our houses, the doors of this church building, the doors of our lives and our hearts. To a people who are starving. To know of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we have three choices. Which one will we choose? Amen.